Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. So I've been talking here and there on a show about the police district councils. That's the new office that was on the ballot back on February 28th. This came out through a reform movement to challenge the sort of authority of the police department and its autonomy. Um, There are going to be people who are going to represent you, regular people. It's supposed to be to hold police accountable. And there's going to be three council members for each of the police districts. You may have seen these people around in your neighborhood. That's a nugget from when I talked to my colleague Angela Rosa O'Toole last month about her team's reporting on elections here at WBEZ. That reform movement she mentioned refers to the decades of organizing by Chicago activists that culminated most recently in the Empowering Communities for Public Safety Ordinance, or ECPSO. It was passed in Chicago back in July of 2021, and it established these police district councils that we voted on last month. But there's so much more to it. And Jim Daly wrote all about it in a piece for The Tribe. He's a digital news editor there, and he's here today to orient us around what this means for the city. Now, I want to give you a heads up that there are some acronyms here to keep track of and generally a lot to digest. But Jim does a good job of breaking all of this down for us, starting with how the movement began in the first place. So the most recent iteration of organizing for community control of police happened after the killing of Rakia Boyd uh, in 2012 by Dante Servan, who was an off-duty cop um, who shot and killed her. The protests in 2012 will grow big as the protests in Ferguson concerning Rakia Boyd. We send a strong message to the state's attorney's office, the police department, that the uprising in Chicago starts today. Um, That galvanized the movement to um, begin organizing to get community control of police through a city ordinance. Um, And they spent more than a decade gathering petitions and doing organizing in the communities. Um, And then when the murder of George Floyd happened and sparked the rebellions in 2020, that kind of created a catalyst that um, created the political will to get it over the finish line. And an ordinance was passed by city council in 2021. So in your article, you named two main organizations who were doing some of this organizing, um, the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression and the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability. And they worked together with other folks to bring this forth. And I wonder if you could give us an idea of what these organizations are and how they work together on this. So the Chicago Alliance is a chapter of the larger National Alliance Against um, Racist and Political Repression, which was founded by Angela Davis a number of decades ago and is wow. um, you know, a national revolutionary organization. Um, GAPA, the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability, is a local organization that was pushing for community control of police. And they initially were working independently, but then um, in 2020 or 2021, they aligned to form the Empowering Communities for Public Safety Coalition. Um, and ECPS is what eventually became the name of the ordinance yes. that created these councils. Okay. So you've named a f- yet a few more um, organ- uh, kind of coalitions and, and uh, entities here. So we've got the Community Commission of Public Safety and Accountability. We've got the Police District Councils. Uh, we've got 
the Chicago Police Department. We've got the mayor's office. We got the city council. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got the voters mm-hmm. and the citizens and the residents. Um, I wonder if you can um, describe the structure of how everyone is expected to work together within this ordinance and within um, implementing it. Sure. So from the ground up, voters elect people to police district councils. Each one of these councils is a three-member council, and there's one for each of the city's 22 police districts. Which is what we voted for. Which is what we just elected, right. Okay. Those councils uh, each send one member to annual and quarterly meetings. And it's that body of representatives from each police district council that nominate members to the Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability, which is the citywide police oversight body. Um, The district councils nominate 14 people. From those 14 people, the mayor selects seven for the community commission. Okay. The community commission has is where the oversight powers come in, and those oversight powers are layered. They're not direct. Okay. The CCPSA can hire and fire the chief administrator of COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability. Um, they can also nominate the superintendent of police, and if they feel that that person is not doing their job, they can take a vote of no confidence in the superintendent, which would trigger city council meetings um, to determine whether or not that person would be fired. Okay. So one of the organizations we talked about that was doing a lot of this organizing, the CAARPR, they identified 71 what they called pro-accountability candidates. Mm -hmm. How did that organization identify those candidates? Um, These were candidates who worked with the ECPS coalition and CARPER to use their resources to help get on the ballot. So when you get on the ballot, you have to um, file several types of paperwork. Uh, Most importantly, you have to get petition signatures to get on the ballot. Ah. Um, And for a brand new district level position, it attracted a lot of people who had never run for office before. Okay. Some of these people were folks who actually helped write the ordinance and were involved in the negotiations with the mayor's office around the ECPS ordinance. Some of them were activists who either worked directly with these organizations or were tangential to them. And it, it included a range of people from um, – very progressive police abolition types. There were a few to um, just regular regular folks from the neighborhood, a lot of whom had direct experience with police misconduct and abuse. There mm. were a number of people who were running who either wow. had been themselves brutalized by the police or had family members who had been brutalized or um, killed in some cases mm. by Chicago police. Um, one candidate's brother was a Um, survivor of John Burge's torture, and he's still in prison today because a confession was beaten out of him when he was 15 years old. So it it was a range of people who had various reasons to to support police accountability, whether it was just a political conviction or a direct experience with the necessity of it. Wow. And the cutoff for counting mail-in ballots was Monday the 13th. And in the end, do you know how many of those endorsed candidates, those pro-accountability candidates, were actually elected? So the answer is at least 40 and possibly 41. Um, As of election night, 41 people were ahead, but um, an FOP-endorsed candidate 
pulled ahead of an ECPS coalition-backed candidate by one vote. Um, wow. So, and these, as far as I know, these do not go to runoffs. So it will just be whoever gets that vote. But it's at least 40 candidates, which is a, a vast majority yeah. out of the 66. Um, how many precincts have at least one pro-accountability candidate? 16. Okay. Um, and then there are a few that have none, right? Right. There's a few. Um, I think there's three where there's no majority of candidates who were either backed by the ECPS coalition or the Fraternal Order of Police. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you just mentioned, um, so the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the largest police union in Chicago, did endorse candidates as well. How many did they endorse um, versus how many won in the end? The FOP endorsed 19 candidates and seven of them were elected to the police district councils. Okay, so minority there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So you spoke to Frank Chapman, who is a field organizer with Carper. And he says it was scandalous for the FOP to even be allowed to endorse candidates. And I'm wondering if you feel like that's off base. Like, what are some of the reasons why they would be able to put forth support for candidates to hold themselves accountable? I mean, that's that's a great question. This is an office that was specifically created for accountability over the police. And you've got so none of these are active members of the department because the law prohibits anyone who has been a cop um, in recent years from running. But there's a number of retired officers who they endorsed mm. um, who were elected, um, one of whom, Lee, Lee Bielecki, down in on the southwest side, I believe had 26 complaints on his record. Um, and I FOIA'd a couple of them, and two of them specifically were refusing to um, take complaints from people against the police. <laughs> so this is a guy who's now on an accountability council. Um, I think your listeners can draw their own conclusions about that. Um, and I don't think that, for example, Mr. Bielecki or other FOP candidates will necessarily be as um, robust with oversight as some of these activists might be. Mm. So the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department has resigned. And now for the first time ever, the new CCPSA commission is doing a nationwide search to replace him. And we've also been hearing a lot from the two mayoral candidates, right? Yeah. So in various debates, the candidates have both talked about um, what qualifications they would want for someone that they would nominate to be the superintendent. Um, And that ignores the fact that the CCPSA is actually the body that is going to nominate a superintendent candidate for them to appoint. Um, Vallis, of course, is backed by the FOP, and it will be interesting to see the degree of cooperation that he, if he's elected mayor, has around CCPSA. Okay. So I read some varying responses in your article when you asked about the overall goal or agenda um, in uh, that, the, that Carper is looking toward. And One of them was, you know, hold police accountable, more control over policing by those who are being policed. And one person said to defeat the Fraternal Order of Police, the FOP. Um, What is your general takeaway? What is the big reason or mission for all this work? That's a really good question. I mean, I think at the base it is for the community to have some say in how they are policed. Um, Right now they don't really. I mean, there's CAPS meetings. Um, they can talk to their local alder person or something like that. But it, there, there isn't, there's COPA, of course, you know, so you can file a complaint and COPA will investigate it. But 
until these these councils were established, there wasn't someone who you could go to in your district who was an elected civilian whose, mm. whose job it is to represent you, and you could say these are my concerns, these are my desires for public safety. Um, th- this is what I what I need. This particular officer did something, you know. So it establishes that it establishes a, a voice for the community and a place where the community can have input on how their communities are policed. It will be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of the degree to which the community will actually have a say over how their their communities are policed. And then also the degree to which it will impact things like the department's compliance with the consent decree, um, other reforms. Could you just remind us, what is the consent decree? So the federal consent decree that was established in the wake of the murder of Laquan McDonald, in which the Department of Justice found that the Chicago Police Department had engaged in a pattern of violating civil rights of Chicagoans. And on the basis of this exhaustive review, the Department of Justice has concluded that there is reasonable cause to believe that the Chicago Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of use of excessive force in violation of the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. There's a number of benchmarks that the police department has to hit um, within this consent decree. They have made some progress on more than three quarters of that, but they've only fully realized, I believe, about 5% of the benchmarks in the consent decree. Okay. And so this will have implications for whether or not they... It, it very comply. well might. It very well might. One of the things that CCPSA can do is they set goals for the police superintendent and the police board and the chief administrator of COPA at the beginning of the year. And then at the end of the calendar year, they assess how well those goals are being met. Because ultimately, okay. there's a degree to which all of this only works insofar as the police department, whether it's the district level commanders, command staff, or even the rank and file police are willing to take community input yeah. and actually do Interesting. their jobs. Yeah. You, you said it all depends on whether or not they they are open to that community input. And I guess I'm just like, it's giving UN vibes where it's just like, okay, we set out, you know, these goals. Like people can even sign on and say they're going to do it. But like, where's the actual accountability? Like, is there something punitive happening? Like what? This is one of the criticisms that some activists have had of the outcome of this ordinance is that it doesn't go far enough. Um, Partly that's due to what the mayor was able to negotiate with the organizers around the ordinance. So, for example, if you go back far enough, in the 1960s when the Black Panther Party first came up with the concept of community control of police and they first um, in Chicago proposed something like this, they wanted district-level police boards that had the ability to hire and fire individual officers that is very direct community control of police. This is not that. It doesn't come anywhere close to that. And the degree to which there is civilian control of the department is still very layered. So COPA can, for example, investigate a cop who has been accused of misconduct. If they find that that cop is guilty of that misconduct, they can make a recommendation to the police board that he be fired or she be fired. Um, but ultimately, it's up to the police board and the superintendent um, over over whether or not that cop will be fired. So it's limited, you know. It's it's limited, and we will see in the coming years what its impact actually is. It's better than nothing. It's definitely a huge step forward, and it's absolutely historic. Nothing like this has ever happened in Chicago or the nation, where elected civilians have input into how how their communities are policed. 
it remains to be seen how effective that'll be in terms of reducing the, the misconduct and abuse and increasing public safety in our neighborhoods. Jim Daly is a digital news editor for The Tribe. Jim, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You can check out his comprehensive reporting on all this at thetribe.com. And that's the, T-R-I-I-B-E dot com. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sam Deere for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Cleve and Katie O'Connell for editing the show. This episode was engineered by Ethan Schwab. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning.